Welcome everyone to Bulldog Bites, practical tips for busy GCs. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, partner here at Walmart Carlisle's Business Litigation Practice Group, and we have a special episode for you today. We're going to be discussing ransomware attacks, and joining me today to discuss this form of cyber attack is my partner, Claire Rauscher. Claire also does litigation and regulatory work here at Womble Carlisle, um, and she advises clients about dealing with government and internal investigations and working on best practices to deal with those compliance issues. That work, as you expect, might include victims of ransomware attacks. Um, thank you, Claire, for uh, agreeing to participate today. Thanks, Mark. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. And not only do we have Claire as our expert, but we also are lucky enough to have a victim with us today, general counsel of a company who suffered a ransomware attack. Out of respect for our guest and his company, we will not be naming that organization. And, uh, and I'm just going to refer to our guest today as John, last name Doe unstated. John, thanks for being willing to share your experiences with us today. You bet. Great. Looking forward to it. So most of our listeners may have heard about ransomware uh, in the news, but Claire, can you tell us a little bit about what a ransomware attack is and how common they are? Well, you know, ransomware attack is where it's a malware that invades covertly a system and it essentially encrypts the system so you can't access the information. And then um, whoever's done it asks for ransom, essentially money, so that um, your material, if you pay it, will be released. Hmm. Unfortunately, it's becoming a lot more common. You know, a lot of us have heard and read about it, but we're seeing it more and more. It originated out of some folks out of apparently Russia, and they've been able to, uh, I don't know whether it's market this material or however they do this around the world. Uh, so it's not just happening in the United States, it's happening in Europe, it's happening in Asia, and it's making some significant money some of the bad guys. So. Yeah, I was surprised in reading about it, according to, uh, to CNN, in just in April of this year, uh, over $200 million were collected, where I guess that's a three-month period, but measured in April, $300 million, $200 million collected in people that actually reported attacks. So that, that's a lot of money paid out in, in ransoms. Now, John, can you tell us a little bit about your story and, and what you experienced? Sure. On October 1st, a Saturday, I, at about 8.30, 8.40 in the evenings, our IT function and department started noticing some of our servers were just acting up and were starting to act unusual. And within two hours, they had identified that we were the subject of a ransomware attack, a malware attack. And so at that point, we started to shut down servers and we had approximately 50 servers affected at that time. And as they continued to shut them down, then they started realizing that not only were servers at our external data site affected, but they were starting to see PCs affected throughout the company and local servers at some of our localized sites. And at that point, getting close to midnight on a Saturday night, the IT department decided we are shutting everything down and they took every PC, every server offline and just essentially shut down the organization. Wow. Now, when you talk about it spreading, I, I have visions of like a virus spreading through a, you know, a community that we get, you know, someone has flu and they, they you know, create it. Is that, is that what's going on with this, 
malware? Does it literally move from machine to machine? Well, in our specific instance, what was happening was that the machines were locking up. Mm. And so instead of using your virus example, instead of coughing, they were dying or going into a coma. And so at that point, whenever we realized that and we couldn't transact business, then we just started shutting everything down, cascading on our own across the system. And I assume your business, like most businesses, is dependent on that technology, right? I assume this is crippling. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not only inward facing, but it's customer facing as well. So customers placing online orders, we're taking those servers offline as well. So customers cannot make orders. We run a 24 seven operation at some of our locations. And so they could not tie back into our networks. They could not run their production lines. They could not get shipping orders fulfilled, you know, we essentially went offline. Wow. Did you get some kind of, we talked about ransomware, did you get a note? I mean, did you get somebody saying, we did this, pay up? Well, it's interesting. Um, this is the second time, but a much more broader ransomware attack that we have seen. The first time, which was several months ago, it was one isolated server, and we immediately received some ransom note at that point. This time, it was much broader, much more invasive, and we did not identify any ransom at that time. It was only after we started engaging external resources and digging deeper into the system did we start to come across the ransom notes, if you will. Gotcha. Tell me about that process of getting help. Who did you call and how did you how right. did you deal with that crisis? Because this is it's on a Saturday, which I'm right. sure is part of the tactic, right? They want to do it when you don't have regular people. I mean, I assume you're not there. Your IT guy's not, you know, sitting right. there in the office. All of a sudden, you're sitting at home and your website's gone down and you can't right. communicate. You can't send emails asking for help. T tell me a little bit about those first hours. Yeah. Time. So so I became aware of it at about ten o'clock Sunday morning, and. At that time, it was the head of IT contacting me and the CEO and a couple other key members of the, of the leadership team. And he started describing what was going on. We got a quick update from him. And then in turn, I called our insurance broker because we have cyber liability coverage. And to step back a little bit, all of this was already planned or anticipated by us, not, not the attack itself, but an attack. And so everybody knew what their role was in the organization. And so for me, it was to immediately contact the broker. And so I contact the broker again, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I contact that person via email and a cell phone and within an hour, get a response back from them. And so what they were doing for me at that time was laying out the players. So specifically a third-party forensic organization, uh, a law firm that we are required to use under our cyber liability coverage. And in addition, because of some past relationships that I have, we also notified the FBI that this was going on. So we started to get those resources together and gather those resources. That's great. Now, um, I know not all the listeners necessarily have cyber insurance. It sounds like you were glad to have that policy. Is that something you'd had for a while or you got after that first attack? What was the, the decision making that went behind getting the, the insurance? Um, we, we have had it for approximately one year. 
mainly because of uh, we anticipated this and you're somewhat exposed if you don't have it. You know, we have business interruption insurance, but that's not necessarily going to cover an event like this. And so we went out and did it on our own. And does the insurance cover some of those resources you mentioned, like hiring, uh, you know, an outside firm to come in and help figure out what happened and the legal costs and that kind of stuff? Is that all covered by insurance? Yes. I mean, to get into the specifics of our policy as it existed for this attack, we have a million dollars worth of coverage. We have a $10,000 deductible. And I think that million also has 100000 that is above that for some PR resources that could be utilized if, in fact, there is an external breach that you have to start notifying people externally. So there's a specific provision on that. As of right now, my understanding is that not only will it cover the third-party resources that we're using, but any internal costs, extra internal costs that we incur, such as you know, IT function going overtime, you know, anything along those lines. Gotcha. And you had mentioned you discovered notes. Tell me a little bit about what you discovered in terms of uh, in terms of these ransom notes and yeah. and what you did with them. Yeah, what what we eventually uncovered or through the third party uncovered was um, that they were demanding 10.7 Bitcoin for every unit that was affected. And so for us, at the conversion rate at that time, would have been about $1.5 million. Wow. And that was the demand to essentially get your information back because a ransomware just locks down your data and locks down your information and then you pay the money to get it back is the concept. Right. And you leave those bitcoins in a bag and the next to the bench in the park, right? Well, you know, I mean, it's it, it's it, it's actually interesting because the one the one piece, and I may be jumping ahead here though, is that um, when when we did engage a third party forensic a group, what they discovered was although our servers started crashing on October first, about two weeks beforehand is when the intruder actually jumped on top of our servers and started using excess capacity on our servers to exchange Bitcoin. Have nothing to do with us, but they're doing a Bitcoin exchange using excess capacity on our servers. And you know either they got bored or they decided that it was now time to start going vertical in the organization. And that's when they started dropping the ransomware packets in. And so we were already you know, a host for some bad activity before we even knew about it. And then this just became part of it. Wow. So, uh, Claire, at what point did you get involved in this story? I did not. Okay. I, did not. I found out about you, this after you, the You fact. found out about this yes. after the fact. That's okay. Correct. So the insurance, you, you were using your insurance company law firm, the one they designated right. initially. Right, right. Wow. Did you pay any ransom or how did you get the servers unlocked? Thankfully, we did not. What we did was, as best I can describe it, it's like doing a system restore on your cell phone. So you just go back to before you got corrupted and restore your system to that point. Now, you're going to lose some amount of data that was input in that period of time, but that's one of the solutions that you have and that we are thankfully able to, to do. And here's where it becomes very interesting, and it is that and it's sort of getting to one of the lessons learned, is that you have to be careful on how fast you act, and it's not just a knee-jerk reaction, because we had to really put a disciplined cadence in place 
with our IT team because they are responding to the business demands of get this thing up and running. I need to start transacting business again. And so everybody wants to start running very fast. And what we had to be careful of is since we subsequently found out that the bad guy was already in our system two weeks before we discovered it, if we had gone in and started fixing things at the date that we thought we were harmed, we would not have addressed what was really happening in the organization through this incursion. And, you know, for example, one of the immediate reactions with the IT group was make everybody change their password. And we said, hold on a second. If, if the bad actors are still in our systems and still in our network, then they're going to see every single new password that gets put in place because we're not certain yet that the bad actors are out of our system. So slow down and let's approach this methodically and intelligently. Wow. So how long was your system down before you had uh, operations again? Well, I mean, it, it was sequencing. So okay. we started bringing more online throughout that first week. And I think we were probably about 95% back online within seven to 10 days. And what the IT function was doing and, and the CIO was doing was twice daily updates to the leadership team of here's the number, here's the servers that are affected, here's what's happening, here's the ones being brought back online, here's the ones not because here's what's happening, and there's why we don't want to bring these other ones back online. Gotcha. Wow. Interesting. Interesting story. Yeah. And did you, and I do want to talk about some lessons learned and suggestions for our, our listening audience. I'm very curious, did you ever, did you find out how that initial intrusion happened? You said they had been there two weeks right. doing the Bitcoin trading. Do you know how they got in? And I guess maybe that's a segue into how to stop them in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did. Um, a couple of things. One was, as Claire mentioned, what we eventually found out was it was a Russian URL and Russian malware that got lodged in there. And so it apparently came through a Hong Kong resource somehow, but that's what we were eventually able to identify. The intrusion point we were also able to identify was a web-facing server that we had that was relatively new, was about two months old, that we had implemented. Very candidly, it was one person in our IT department who allowed a temporary admin access to remain open with a very simplistic password attached to it. And so it was an oversight, it was unintentional, it was an innocent error, but that was the wow. intrusion point we were mm. able to identify. All right, one person with a simple password. Yes. Amazing. And is there any way, I know you mentioned you got the FBI involved, is there any way they can go back and actually try to find some actor or actors in Russia and do counter terror, you know, I right. want to get back at right. them, you know, right. well, you know, right. I, I think about the movies where, you know, right. you send a spike back and, you right. know, blow up their computer or yeah. something. I mean, yeah. is there any, any way to actually yeah. figure out who these guys are and take any action either at a state level or, or individually? Um, un unknown to us. I mean, the relationship that we have with the FBI staff that we interact with is, um, it's basically one way. I mean, we are giving them information. We are letting them gather data from a variety of resources, and then whatever they do with it, you know, they do. 
they don't necessarily give back to us and say, you know, aha, we got them. Yeah. So I do want to talk, you know, for our listeners that are have the same reaction I do to this horror story, you know, which right. and I appreciate you sharing it because obviously this could be crippling, you know, to any of our listeners out there. What what are some of your lessons learned and welcome you to chime in too, Claire, on things that maybe you could do differently or things that, you know, steps that they could take. And it sounds like you've done some like getting cyber insurance, but what else, you know, could our folks do, if anything, to avoid this or be better prepared to deal with it when it happens? Yeah, well, I, I think it's naive to think you're going to avoid it. You know, <laughs> I mean, for everybody, you know, us included, you know, it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. I mean, it's going to happen. And my humble opinion, you're operating on a fairly naive basis if you think you're not going to be hit or you're overly sophisticated and can stay one step ahead of the bad actors. Um, a couple of lessons learned. Certainly, you know, have a plan in place. Know what to do when it happens. Um, don't try to learn on the fly. I mean, we certainly had audibles that we called as the game was progressing, but you really need to know upfront and plan for this. Another lesson that, that we uncovered was that the PCs that had been affected, not just the servers, but the affected PCs, were all PCs that had been left on overnight. And so, so Saturday, people go home on a Friday, they just walk out of their office and leave their PC on. It is a open door to the bad actors to come through and get into your PC. Um, it runs against our policy. Our policy and procedures are when you leave, you turn off your computer, period. Mm. You know, you power down. And so that's another thing that is a very practical piece of advice to follow your IT protocol and turn off your computers. You know, close the door. Another lesson learned is um, get the experts involved and get them involved quickly. No disrespect to the IT community at all, but not everybody is an expert in everything. And so don't let pride get in your way. You know, get the people involved who do this stuff for a living. They know what to do. You know, we would not have been able to identify the bad actors were on our systems two weeks beforehand had we just progressed with our blinders on saying, here's when it happened, go do a system restore and go back 24 hours. Um, it would have been a mistake. So that's the other piece of it. Gotcha, those are good. Would, would you suggest doing a tabletop exercise along with your plan? Um, that is a great idea and it's actually something that we do have planned to be in the works. Yeah. And when you say tabletop exercise, Claire, can you tell our listeners I mean, what that would involve? Essentially, it's a dry run, um, you know, simulating something like this happening. Because one of the reasons is if, if you've done it in advance, you have a little bit more confidence when something like this happens because, of course, everybody's totally unnerved and trying to figure out what to do. But if you've done an exercise before, it's just like the emergency exercises that EMT folks do and fire departments, it just makes it a little bit smoother doesn't take away all the anxiety, but it certainly helps. Gotcha. No, I think that's a good suggestion. We do have a couple of questions from our audience members, so let me, uh, let me mention those. Uh, one, uh, one says, my company is too small to have a full-time cybersecurity person on staff. Who at our company should have responsibility for cybersecurity? And I guess that's a, and I, let me ask you, John, in your company, was one person responsible? Is it your 
IT person? Do you have a separate cyber person? What did you do? And I guess welcome both of your thoughts for smaller companies. You know, where does that responsibility lie? Is it IT, CFO, CFO? Who, who, who you know, who, who has the, where's the top hat when it comes to these issues? Yeah, I mean, I, my sense is it depends on the organization. I mean, for us, it was the CIO, right? I mean, there was, we had to have one voice. We had to have one quarterback who was able to say, you know, I'm managing this whole thing. You know, using everybody as a resource, but we needed a quarterback. Now, the caveat to that is that one of the roles that the external counsel needs to play in this instance is to determine what should be privileged and what should not be privileged. And also, you know, a corollary role is to determine if you've tripped any regulatory triggers out there that, that you know, if you have had a breach, which thankfully we did not, um, of any data going out. But so even though there may be one quarterback, and again, for us, it was our CIO, there's multiple players involved and the general counsel should play a very active role in this whole process. Again, you know, for a variety of reasons, one being privilege. Gotcha. You know, in some of the smaller companies, they actually don't have internal IT. They outsource their IT work to other companies. And uh, this is where some of the real problems come in for smaller companies, because if they have these kind of breaches, they rely on the, the external company to sort of handle that for them. And as John said, you really need to bring in the real experts, um, because what happens is sometimes these smaller IT outsourcing groups don't have the expertise to deal with this. Um, and that's, again, where the insurance comes in and some of these other issues. But I think regardless of the size of the company, you know, there has to be a point person on this who has that kind of knowledge and access to deal with it when it happens. Great. I think that makes sense. And I know there's a lot of news out there about cybersecurity. I know NIST, which is a, an organization that publishes standards, recently published some guidance on cybersecurity that our listeners may want to be aware of. And there is a lot of exposure. I know, I think, John, you mentioned, as best you know, you didn't lose any data. A lot of other firms obviously have been hacked, not necessarily as part of ransomware, and have faced um, significant liability. I saw just last week there was a $650,000 fine imposed by FINRA, that's the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority uh, against Lincoln Financial Group. They found that they had failed to take adequate measures to ensure that their system was secure against cyber intruders. And these are daily headlines about companies that didn't keep up to date, ended up getting hacked. So again, for our listeners out there, you don't want a $650,000 fine showing up because you didn't get up to date. So I think that's the, you know, there's, in addition to ransomware, there's a lot, uh, you know, a lot of legitimate concern on the cyber front. You bet. Good. All right. Well, let's, uh, we, we try to end our podcast with a trivia quiz. Um, so uh, just to kind of keep things interesting, uh, John, so, and you can participate uh, in this quiz as well. It's kind of related uh, to cyber, but this time it's going to be a sci-fi related quiz, since cyber is kind of sci-fi related. Are both of you sci-fi fans? I know Claire is a huge <laughs> sci-fi oh, fan. I, I, I don't know about that. Right? This, could be, this could be fun. So, um, I, I'm a big fan myself, so this is a, one of my favorite quizzes. Well, good luck. Here we go. Question number one. And whoever wants to buzz in first is fine. 
The Cybermen are a race of robot-like aliens bent on forcing all life in the universe to join their hive mind. Who is the time-traveling hero that has thwarted their efforts on British television for nearly 50 years? Doctor Who. Doctor Who! And John takes it. Good job. And he takes a lead with 1-0. Congratulations on that, John. (laughs) Question two, and there will be a total of four questions, and then, if necessary, a tiebreaker. (laughs) Question number two. The 1990s reboot of a classic sci-fi show introduced lots of villains to the franchise, including the Borg, which are also robot-like race of aliens bent on forcing all life in the universe to join there. Hive mind. Name this TV show. Lost in Space. <laughs> Sorry, John. Do you know? Um, this TV show. TV show. It's a TV show. It also turned into a series of movies featuring a starship. Star Wars? Not <laughs> Star Wars. Can I guess Not again? Star Wars. John is coming back in I for the Star Trek. Star Trek. That's oh. right. This specifically Star Trek Next Generation. Captain John Luke Picard, played by Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Um, yes. uh, who becomes part of the Borg in one of the most riveting episodes. But no, long-running TV show, um, Next Generation. Um, don't don't miss it. But the Borg are also that cyber race. So we'll give a, two words. I'm right, going to so give half a point to uh, to John on that one. Uh, for coming in on a wrong and then correct. So one and a half to nothing. You do not. You do not. But keep trying, sir. We appreciate you playing today. (laughs) Question three. This sci-fi subgenre includes books by William Gibson and Philip K. Dick, as well as films such as Blade Runner and The Matrix. Here's a hint. It developed during the late 1970s and early 80s and draws its inspiration and name from the rock and roll style of that time. Name the subgenre that would be Matrix, Blade Runner, other stuff. This is part of sci-fi, but a subgenre. Heavy metal. Heavy metal would be wrong. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> punk. Punk. We're gonna give that to cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, but I'm gonna say <laughs> nice. that comes through. John, Thank with you, a, Alex. He, he takes his time, but he gets the answer in the end. And, and with two and a half, I think you have an insurmountable lead. But hang in there, Claire. This one may be up your alley on this final one. Let's hope so. James Earl Jones, an amazing actor whose distinctive voice is featured in two of his more memorable performances. He's ready. He's ready oh, to he's ready to answer. All right. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and end it. Can you name two voices by James Earl Jones, two famous characters that he Well, voices. Darth Vader. Darth Vader is correct, and that's the Star Wars tie-in. Can you name the other one that was a, both a, a movie and a Broadway show produced by Disney? My family's going to be really upset. It's another father-son relationship, just like Luke and his father, Darth. Oh, John's hand is up. It's coming to Mufasa. Congratulations, John. You've done a great job. We were talking about Darth Vader, so the bonus question is here, and our listeners can't see it, but I have a plastic figurine of Darth Vader. The bonus question is, what will be revealed when I open up the Darth Vader? Any guesses? What would be inside a Darth Vader toy? They're thinking about it. I'm at a loss. He's at a loss. Any Candy. guesses? Candy. Candy. It is actually Luke Skywalker <laughs> inside. So that's a tricky one. Uh, this is one of the many Star Wars toys in my office. Come by later, uh, and you can tour the entire collection. 
Um, that's what we have time for today, folks. Congratulations, John, on winning the quiz. Uh, you can collect your prize afterwards. Listeners, remember to subscribe to our podcast and find out more about me and our guests by going to wcsr.com backslash podcast. Um, when you're there, be sure to shoot us questions and comments, things you want us to see in upcoming episodes and questions for our future guests. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, I'm Ralph. <laughs>